This is the Diabolique webcast, and I'm your host, Stephen Slaughterhead, and that's my real name. And this is the end of movies as we know it. Again. And on this episode with me is David Kleiler, former film professor at Babson College and artistic director at the Coolidge Corner Theater here in Brookline, Massachusetts. And Dan Kimmel, author of Shh, It's a Secret, and Jar Jar Binks, Must Die. Author and film critic, too, by the way. And we're going to get to talking about this sea change in the way films are being distributed and what it's doing to everything. Hope you dig the show. Dan, hi. Hello there. Thanks for coming by. This is going to be an interesting subject, I think. And uh, David, how are you? Fine. Always nice to talk to you. There's a sense of deja vu um, uh, with this. I'm so old that I've seen this kind of problem before. They're here. They're coming to get you. Yeah, right. How many times has it been the end of the industry and movies the way we know it? (laughs) I've lived through a few times of it. Isn't it every week? I'm thinking thinking of a specific time, but uh, I think before either of you were born, but Mm -hmm. it's back when television came out. Well, go back to the context for it. Uh, Why are we talking about the end of the movies? Because, well, we, we decided that we'd discuss this uh, sea change in the way that films are being produced. And uh, it seems to be sort of a, a top-heavy scenario where we're getting these major uh, $100 million, $200 million blockbusters that are um, being made by the main studios now. And um, some would say at the expense of uh, lesser-known uh, films or smaller smaller films that just don't have the uh, and, th- and this the is the hot topic resonance. right now and this you is know? the hot topic every summer look around look at all the blockbusters where were the small films and then comes the fall and then there's a whole bunch of smaller films that come out that that's that's part of it and that's definitely part of what's going on it's like right now yes every week is it's the new tentpole movie especially we're in mid-July now, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the beginning of May through, you know, early July. It's one, bl- you know, would-be blockbuster after another. That's how the calendar is loaded. This It's like a revolving uh, process of huge, big-budget movies that mm-hmm. are inevitably forgettable in their way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's the other thing. When we get, now they've changed the Academy rules. Mm-hmm. So a film uh, like that Jennifer Lawrence film a few years ago, uh, Winter's Bone, or Beast of the Southern Wild, somehow they they find their way into getting recognized at the end of the year. They may not get the money, but, um, well, wait a minute. And there's also a reaction against some of these smaller, low-budget films, independent, you know, most of the kind of thing I like, uh, that, uh, well, somehow or another, they're getting recognition. And I think they're getting their money back through whatever the distribution patterns are because the films are still so low budget. So again, the apocalypse uh, that both Lucas and Spielberg seem to specialize in, I think, wait, we've been through this apocalypse before. Mm-hmm. We'll go through, I don't think I'll live long enough to see it again, mm-hmm. but I'm, I certainly am, and it's kept, and there's things on several fronts that are going on in the patterns both of distribution, production, production and, and exhibition. You know, it's interesting that um, when when Spielberg and Lucas uh, take center stage and they say that these these sweeping changes are going to be happening, I think, you know, they they perhaps got to this point because maybe at some point they weren't getting as much money as they thought they would for the movies that they're trying to make. But they're not small time producers, right. and I, these you know, middle road producers are the ones that aren't 
getting the money that they used to get uh, 10 years ago just to make a movie that is original and uh, of a you know uh, lower budget. You know, it, when, when I when I saw this statement, you know, this this symposium where, where Lucas and Spielberg talked about, oh, you know, the Hollywood is is dying. It's going to be you know these major blockbusters, these tent poles, and they're going to be you know everything else is going to be distributed on you know via the internet or you know some other means. Hmm. It sounded to me like sour grapes. When was the the last time George Lucas had a good movie? I see what you're saying. You know, yeah. and and Spielberg. Okay, Lincoln, absolutely. The first movie of his I liked it, I think, in 10 years. You know, yeah. what, what, did, what did Spielberg have the year before? The Adventures of Tintin and War Horse. If they you can't know. do what they used to do, should we feel for that? I mean, there's producers who can't get movies made that they used to be able to make 10 years ago. That Just because the, the studio is afraid to give them the money because... Uh, the DVD market doesn't exist anymore, and their whole balance sheet was based on the well, fact that they could project that income, and they can't anymore. Right. Well, the, you know, it's the, the marketplace is changing. One of the things that I've noticed that I haven't seen widely remarked on is the increasing number of major Hollywood films that open overseas before they open in the United States. Mm-hmm. It used to be they would open in the United States, and then the world would, you know, that's how the world would find out about it and want to see these films. Now you, you know, when, when they tell the film critics, don't don't break review date, and I'm already seeing reviews from London or Australia because right. the film is already open there, it's meaningless. Hmm. Like even the Doomsday, in fact, that Pacific Rim only made thirty-eight dollars, thirty-eight million dollars this weekend. But it hasn't opened up in the Asian markets yet. Right. I mean, you know, what's going, what's going on here? What's the thinking? Uh, but we've been through these patterns of thinking, uh, you know, the whole idea of going to the blockbusters. Um, when television came in, there got to be 3D. There got to be, I remember, well, it ties into other phenomena in an exhibition, like this $28 a person theater up, uh, uh, up the street here in, 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 in there. Oh yeah, the death of movies, and so there's somebody like this, uh, what's his Mike Todd around the world in eighty days, and you did pay. You got reserved seats. It was like going to the theater. It was like, uh, you know, like, and you get reserved seats and assigned seating, and um, it became an event. And th- but then you had a lot of uh, films being opened up on a reserved seat basis. The sand pebbles of all films. All right. Well, that was yeah. That was uh, that was when I was when I was a kid in the sixties. It was the heyday of the road show. Yeah. You know, you, movies like you know, two thousand and one. Patton would open up. You know, in a sele- You know, first in the major cities, and then it it wouldn't go wide. It would go a little wider, and so there would be like in, in the county there would be one screen that would have this in a special engagement. And then maybe six months later, it would go out to the neighborhood theaters. You know, well, that's that's yeah. changed now because you've got cable, the internet, streaming video, the DVDs, and all that. And so you know now they want to get their return quickly. And so, like I said, Pacific Rim made only thirty-eight million dollars opening weekend. Well, gee, you know, I'm not losing any sleep over that. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the road the road show and reserved seating because, um, as a reaction, some filmmakers are. Uh, doing that as you know, part of their own distribution process, which is it's it's sort of like because of all the streaming and uh, you know ways that you can get around seeing a film in the theater. Um, if they can make the theatrical theater going it, it, the theater going experience special, people come out and see it. So Kevin Smith, for example, road showed uh, Red State. 
Right, and that was because been... really nobody wanted to see it. <laughs> but it's a way to get people into theaters. Right, right. You know, you know as I, I, when I started reviewing in the 80s, I, I was hearing it, the end of movies. The end of movies because every, it's, everybody's going to stay home and watch their satellite television. And that didn't, people want to go out, people want to have that communal experience of watching, you know, a, a movie, or, you, know, uh, you know, people like to, you know, we can make the same argument, theater is dead, but theater isn't dead. You know, Broadway shows now, I mean, the, you know, even a touring company, the ticket prices for a lot of people are prohibitive. Does that mean theater's dead? No, it means people go to regional companies and stock companies and, you know, well, no. It's part of the recession. Yeah. yeah, I'm laughing because maybe theater isn't dead, but something about the way Hollywood makes movies now is dead. Well, it, this is the same. Again, I, I have to agree with David. I, if, you, if you take a look at the musical in the 1960s and the 1970s, because what happened was you had some big blockbuster musicals, you know, movie versions of Broadway shows for the most part, The Music Man, West Side Story, My Fair Lady, and then The Sound of Music. The Sound of Music was for, you know, for its day a blockbuster. I remember as a little kid, there was a theater that played it for a year because people were going to it. All right, and then what happened? Every studio in Hollywood, ah, the way to a fortune, now with superhero action movies, well, in the 1960s, make a musical. And so they make Dr. Doolittle and they make Star. And, you know, <laughs> and, and it's one bomb after right. another. And then, and you know, by the mid-70s, nobody's making musicals or very few musicals are being made because Hollywood is over. No, Hollywood isn't over. Hollywood evolved into something else. Before the musical, could it have been uh, the Western? I, I don't know if, I don't, well, I mean, the, the, the Western went it, in and out of fashion. I don't think it went into a blockbuster phase, yeah. the way the musical did. Yeah, Dan's right, right okay. there. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, in the Western, it's always been a weird thing in American culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, we think of that with the John Wayne films and, and all that. And I'm glad to see the guy who d seems to defy genre, mm -hmm. that they're doing this retrospective of Burt Lancaster at the Harvard Film Archive. And, uh, and, yeah. and the Brattle. And yeah. the Brattle, yeah. And uh, you, you see these things, and look... How's Hollywood going to change its mind? I mean, even though I always thought The Lone Ranger was a bad idea, uh, that I never would have predicted that it's been tanking as much as it has. I mean, I haven't seen it. It was a wholly misconceived film. Let's let, let's let's not go there. Okay, uh, but it's an example of a film that had. Uh, uh, an already existing, uh, you know, notoriety of some no, sort. No, that was something. the whole thing. It was like, no, it didn't. Yes, people knew who the Lone Ranger was. Was there this huge demand no. for a Lone Ranger movie? No, I mean, not, not huge, but... It, it, you know, it's the same way Dis Disney screwed up with, with uh, John Carter of Mars, where they, you know, they, you know yes, they, the character's been around for a century, and they could, they could have had... That was a decent film. They could have had a hit with that. They didn't know how to sell it. And so they threw it away and, you know, it, it, it tanked. There are people who are already swimming against the tide and making it work. And um, I interviewed the producer Jason Blum recently, whose most recent movie is The Purge. This is a guy who had started out doing art, art house films. He did The Reader, the one that uh, Kate Winslet won the Oscar for. Mm -hmm. And then he decided... Ah, you know, I'm ready for the big time. And he went and he was one of the producers involved in The Tooth Fairy, that movie with Dwayne Johnson. That He right. said it was soul-crushing. But what he was fascinated by was the way the studio machine 
could you know could get a film out there and get the publicity out there and he said you know i could make this if i can get a studio distribution i can make this work for films that i can control at a much lower price that we can be creative with and he hit the big time with paranormal activity did he produce the first one uh, yes okay. i think he's been involved with it since the beginning now and he's done, since then has done a number of these you know smaller films for a price where you know they, they get the publicity out there, they get the word of mouth out there, and they're making money with it. And they're making money with it because they're trying to figure out what is, you know what what would you know what's going to appeal to the audience. I'm trying to remember now that there's a, a horror film he did last year with Ethan Hawke. Oh, um, um, the, the one, oh it was, it, sinister. Sinister. That was it. That was it. A creepy, creepy but intelligent horror movie. Mm. And it, it is something that he's now working with Ethan Hawke. They're planning the Purge was the second one they did together. They're friends. They went back. They did that independent Hamlet. Their their plan is to do three more three more of these horror movies. They did very very well with the Purge. I mean, yes. didn't, it, didn't it open to something like thirty million? Could something like yeah. And look, and look I, what did it cost to make? You know, it was it was it was essentially a one set movie. Hmm. Um, you know, it was all all took place in 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 the house essentially. Right. Um, that's what they're looking at. Let's you know, there are people who are going. No, we don't need the big tentpole pole movie. Look at right now, uh, the Joss Whedon. All right, the big blockbuster with Avengers made a, you know one of the biggest hits last year. And what's his big art house hit this year? Much Ado About Nothing, the Shakespeare play, which he did with his favorite actors, his stock company, that he shot for 12 days in black and white at his own house. Hmm. And it's making money. And people are enjoying it. And it's staying in theaters, at least the art house theaters, on word of mouth. It's still hanging around five or six weeks later. It, it, it's, that's why the, there's all these contradictions in the uh, Lucas. Um, on the one hand, a theater like... Uh, the Coolidge, which is you know one of the more successful out, uh, art houses here in the Boston oh, area. Ju just for context, we're recording this in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is right down the street. We're right down the street from the Coolidge, and we're it's part of Boston. Uh, but to a certain extent, even though the films are doing well there, what's been selling out? The um, the audience with Helen Mirren. They've had to extend it. It's it, it sold out. Here it is, the 460 seat theater. It's for the first three shows of the audience. It's sold out way in advance. Hmm. They've. Uh, I know. I went to the theater on June 30th, and the Ju uh, July 11th show of the audience was already sold out. And they have two more shows lined up. I don't know whether they've sold out or not, but I do know that uh, the woman who runs the uh, theater, the, uh, and they have the, the the Metropolitan Opera things. So on the one hand. Uh, they still have the regular movies, and Much Ado About Nothing is one of them. On the other hand, they're making a ton of money off of these event films. Uh, uh, National Theater Live, the opera, the ballet, and they're selling out. Hmm. And what's more interesting, but also slightly terrifying, tickets are $20 for a senior, $17, but they're selling out. So part of what's going on here is this, there's this event theater, you know, event program that's going on at movie theaters and they're there i see an increasing number of these things going on at the chain theaters as like well as the theater, like the Coolidge. and the theaters are paying their bills based on on these event programs and that's part of what this spielberg lucas thing alluded to it's going to be uh 
there's, you know, tickets are going to cost, what, $50 or something like that. But what's really interesting that uh, not just in something like uh, the Helen Murren, the audition or the audience uh, selling out way in advance, uh, that the number of people who are going to these Lux theaters that for $28, I mean, here it is, I'd just like to go to a movie. And I'd, I'd like to go talk to people after a movie's over and have a drink or a bite to eat or something like that. And I'm, I'm old-timey that way, but you go to, uh, you go pay $28 out here uh, in Chestnut Hill for the same movie I, I saw Sunday morning at 9.30 at the Fenway Theater for $7. Hmm. David, let me ask you this. Because, because the studios apparently can no longer depend on a, a certain amount of income from the home video market, um, it's easier for them to uh, uh, give money to a, a, a franchi another franchise film that has like a, a pre-existing, you know, other people. It, it does better worldwide because everybody already knows about it. So they, you know, are spending more money financing these films and at the expense of that are these um, smaller films that aren't getting greenlit. So some people, for example, might say, oh, the romantic comedy is over as a genre. It, it may be that the romantic comedies aren't get just getting the money to be made that the, they would have 10 years ago because they're going to like Pirates of the Caribbean 5 or uh, uh, Johnny Depp. I guess I just heard that they're going to make a sequel to uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland 2. I, 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 think it's, I think it's time to quote William Goldman, what he wrote in Adventures of the Screen Trade, which I think is truer than ever. He said, the secret in Hollywood is nobody knows anything. If somebody had the secret for what's going to succeed all the time, you know, they would be independently wealthy and they wouldn't have to make movies anymore. Nobody knows. It's always a roll of the dice. And this is, this is true in horror movies. This is true in romantic comedies. It's true in blockbusters. Nobody knows. It's mm. like, you know, I, I like one of the classic examples from from the from the 70s. So we're going to do this movie with, uh, you know, Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas. Uh, it's it's going to be an issue movie about, you know, nuclear power plants. And it comes out and it's so-so business. And then Three Mile Island happens and it becomes the movie event of the year. Uh, Dan, is it, is it like, <laughs> like, do they think that spending more money on a movie makes it um, uh, failure-proof? I mean... You know, you're spending as much money, if not more, on yeah, the marketing I, I, you than know, you I are mean, on the making. To that extent, I think it's an ego thing, especially you know, for the oh, my, my movie costs two hundred million dollars. Your your puny movie only was a hundred. Yeah, mine's bigger than yours. Yeah, right. You know. uh, but you're right. But that's been true throughout the history of, of, of Hollywood. It's sort of interesting. A few years ago, um, you know, it was just a few years ago, like four, three, four. Then most of the films that were nominated for Best Picture did not gross as much as a hundred million dollars uh in fact i think there was one year of when they got to the 10 nominee point none of them crossed the 100 million dollar mark in terms of grosses and yet um and so oh my god the day of the blockbuster is over uh well that didn't happen do you remember the Look early the 90s were like a 100 million dollar movie was just like you got to be kidding me that was insane when Penny Marshall uh broke the 100 million dollar mark with big that was unusual mm -hmm. now it's like you know. Now it's expected for a major release. But, you know, something, let's, you know, Hollywood is like, it's like Wall Street. It's like Las Vegas. It's gambling. And so you get these big rollers, especially if they're playing with money that's not their own. Why not go for $200 million on, you know, on this? You know, why not try to, 
you know, hit the big budget because maybe we'll hit the jackpot. And somebody often does. Hmm. Yeah? Yeah, Lucas should know better about the stuff. He did Howard the Duck, for Christ's sake. You know, it's like... I mean, do you think that big budget movies uh, marginalize certain genres? They just can't make this. Well, they're not going to make a, you know a blockbuster romantic comedy. That's that 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 that, that, that by definition shouldn't be made that. Well, way. they try. Gary Marshall tries. Uh, Gary, well, Gary Gary Marshall, who I think is an. Uh, Let's put it this way. I will defend some of his films. I, I, I like some of the movies he's done. But when he, he has yeah. been trying to, to replicate Love Actually, which was not a blockbuster, and he's been failing miserably at it. The, his Valentine's Day and Happy New Year, they were awful movies. It, you know, it, it, instead... To the point where it became self-parody. Yes. I, yeah, really. You know, On the other hand, which a film that still is a uh, romantic comedy that had word of mouth and stayed around forever. People were split on the film. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook. I never would have expected a film that I thought of as conceived on a smaller scale uh, and then go to over $110 million. I never would have expected and get all those Oscars. Mm. Um, and I don't think the film was thought of that way in terms of you know whoever greenlit the thing. Until, until Harvey Weinstein had nothing else to push for the Oscars that year. Sorry. But he had incredible word of mouth. You, okay, you, you, okay. Steve, Steve was arguing that you know so, some genres may be priced out of the market, or some, some genres are dead because of the budgets now. And I don't buy that either. That's an, that's another Hollywood fallacy that what's happening at the moment it just has to be projected forever into the future. Science fiction movies were dead. Nobody wants to go see science fiction movies until George Lucas releases Star Wars and it becomes a big hit. Horror movies. There's no future in horror movies. John Carpenter does Halloween, and then other people start doing Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on mm -hmm. Elm Street, and suddenly the horror genre's alive and kicking. So It's so great when you talk about things, because, Dan, it, you know, you follow the business here as well as anybody I know. The, um, and it gets to be predictable. Um, okay, every summer, every weekend this summer, which blockbuster is going to be the top and how much is going to drop 60% the, uh, the next weekend? During the winter, it's all the horror film of the week or the slasher film. They all get bad reviews. Uh, they get 30 or $40 million. They usually place number one on the weekend box office chart. But, um, but it was like six or seven weeks in a row, it was a slasher horror film that uh, it was during the winter. You know, the market is there for these to the point that all these uh, producers that would love to make a movie in Hollywood can't so they go and set up their own private production company and uh, you know fund their movies that way plus it's easier because they can shoot on digital it's you know less yeah. expensive maybe not the quality maybe you know the quality maybe the production value isn't there but but uh, because they, they 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 can't get the studio money they, they you know they go elsewhere and, and do their art and some of it is great 90% of it is crap though but, but that's true know. of anything so I think this kind of like it's all going to be this way. Yeah, how long is something like $28 per seat going to, you know, uh, the Lux Theater? Uh, how long is that going to last? David, well, which leads me to the question, uh, well, aren't, aren't movies kind of like, you know, they make uh, money as a restaurant? You know, they, they, they sell their <laughs> popcorn. Uh, people go for the food. Uh, you know, the, the studios increase the chunk of what they were taking with Iron Man 3. Uh, that's why we have the you know the five fifty six dollar popcorn. They make their money off of the food. Well, yeah, and, and, and that's what the exhibitor was making their money off of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, always here's the problem. Twenty five cents a popcorn for three dollars. Yeah. 
That's always the problem with the theater, like an art house theater, like the Coley Corner Theater down the street. Um, the audience there is mostly over 50, and they don't buy popcorn as much. And so you need the popcorn films. Uh, when you're, uh, you work, when you're, if you have a multiplex, you need to have a lot of popcorn films. I don't know quite how it works. These Lux theaters, where they, you're part of your ticket price, you get a drink. What happens to people who don't drink and, and they don't allow people under 21? Well, there's two price levels. You can get you, like... The, you can get the Lux Light, the, mm -hmm. uh, light, the $21 version. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, just to put it in context, now, I have not been there yet, so I have not experienced neither have it. Neither uh, But think of it from the point of view of someone who's going, huh, the movie tickets and the babysitter and then going out to a restaurant, this is suddenly running into big bucks. Whereas for $28 a ticket... We can see the movie. They'll give us some stuff to eat, and it's they, we're actually coming out cheaper. People are thinking that way. Yeah, it's. I think it's the same reason why these these theater and and opera events are scoring so well. How much? You know, it's twenty dollars a ticket. That's expensive for a movie ticket. How, what does that compare to a live theater or live opera ticket? It's a bargain. And quite frankly, uh, the little bit of this I've seen it's been in theater. I haven't gone to opera uh, yet. Uh, but I have to admit, it's well filmed. You know, the Helen Murren film, the audience, it's well filmed. And I couldn't afford the London ticket to get as good, in fact, closer, because the camera does some of the work for you. You know, you, get, you, know, you have the blocking and what actor should you be looking at. Uh, these things are intelligently designed. Mm. And the audience, you know, when I've been, you know, they've loved it. And for, from an exhibitor, sort of, we're at theater, they can still do some programming that can at least acknowledge it doesn't, it can't show like the Lone Ranger. Uh, it can still hold on to much ado about nothing for, you know, a few more weeks. So it's a good and bad. I do think the, the apocalyptic vision of, of, of Spielberg and, you know, just, you know, been through too many cycles. I've seen too much of this before. Uh, and people still go to movies. And, I mean, <laughs> Even now, my roommate downloads almost all the films that are in the theaters. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> and, well, you know me, I, technology and I are not exactly great friends. Uh, but I wasn't alone in being at 9.30 the other morning watching This Is The End. Uh, you, know, you know, fine, I can do this. People were out at a movie. Mm. And here was a film in his fifth week by now, sixth week. Right. Can't do it. Can't do it. Was never comfortable watching a film on the computer Ever, oh. ever. There's something cold, uh, dispassionate. It's just, it's, it's not for me. Whereas oh. somebody, you know, you're, you're, you're riding the T, you see somebody watching Lawrence of Arabia on yeah, their I iPhone, know, which I saw, yeah. and I think to myself, how's that working out for you? Have you really yeah. seen it? Yeah, I, I, I don't mind watching movies on, on computer. In fact, I watch a lot of screeners on my laptop. Yeah. But the idea of, you know, the, you know, there were certain films, and I, I was saying this, you know, back, you know, back in the, the 70s and 80s, you know, there were mm -hmm. certain films you have to see on a big screen. If you haven't seen Lawrence of Arabia or 2001 on a big screen, you haven't seen them. Mm -hmm. Those are the only way to see those mm -hmm. films. But Casablanca? Casablanca? On, you know, people say, oh, I saw it on television. I saw it on my computer. Well, you can talk about the aesthetics of the horror film, for yeah. example. So much of the good, the great horror films yeah. are done... Not so much with the slashing that goes on the screen, right. but in a sense of atmosphere that's created around it. Right. If you're watching it on your your iPhone, you don't get that sense of atmosphere. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, to me, I, I don't know why anybody would want to watch something other than like a, a clip 
or maybe you know they're following a sporting event to watch a movie on a, on a tiny screen like that. That, that, that seems and silly. The shared experience of watching a good horror film in the theater is yeah. great. I mean, right. but look, we you, we we can't be luddites. You know, the technology is changing. That's why. Oh, so DVDs. We may already be on sort of like the back end. I mean, they've already been supplanted in some ways by Blu-rays. Yeah. You know, the, I don't know what the next technology is going to be. You know, you go back, look at the publishing industry. Oh, oh, it's the death of books, the death of books. They're selling more books than ever, but a lot of people are getting them for their Kindles and Nooks or their 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 their, yeah. their, their iPads and their uh, tablets. I think a lot of it is like how we as critics think people should see the film mm -hmm. as opposed to just judging the artifact. We should We say you should see it like this. Yeah. You know, that, that's a part of the presentation. That's a part of its effectiveness. Well, yeah. there's the should, and then there are the is. This January, uh, I was visiting my son and my granddaughter, but I stayed across from a multiplex. So I finally got around to seeing Skyfall. But then there was one night, it was I, I was awake, I don't know why, it was 11 o'clock at night. I said, oh, across the street, there's an 11 o'clock show of Mama. Okay? Yeah. And I went across the street. There was... You know, it's not a great film, but I got a lot of chills because of the incredible camera work that was going on in the film. But the other thing I enjoyed with an audience, here it was 11 o'clock at night in Glendale, California, and the audience, it might have been a 300-seat theater that was two-thirds full. People around me were screaming. Uh, the, 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 as cheap as the uh, thrills might have gotten, it was, you can't replicate that in your living room. And all the all these all these people, and it's still the teenage girls jumping into the arms of their boyfriends, you know, right. and, and they, all the chills. Right. That's why movies are going away. I, you know, I watch stuff on, you know, on my computer or my TV, but I also see a lot of stuff in the theater. It's okay. The fact that people are reading stuff on their Kindle doesn't mean people aren't also reading books or paperbacks. It, you know, it, you know, it's like we just have a lot of different ways to consume pop culture now, and you know, th this idea that. It's, it's the end of an era. No, it, the era is evolving. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and certainly, you know, because, you know, get, get back to the to horror movies, uh, the horror movie is one of the mainstays, especially of low-budget filmmaking, because so many filmmakers, so, some major filmmakers have, have started out that way mm -hmm. or find it, it's a, it's a challenge to work on a tight budget. And so, yes, there's a lot of junk out there, but there's also a lot of very interesting stuff that gets made. You know, you just reminded me of what Steven Soderbergh recently said about that. Is yeah. he, he would he would get the the news from people you know that he's pitching to yeah. that this is the end of this, this is the end of that. Yeah. We can't really work with you, which which went, which wasn't what they were directly telling him, but it's right. what he was perceiving. But he says that his his philosophy on this is that it's it's not the end of something; it's actually the beginning of something huge all the time, all the time, right. and we don't know where it's going to go. It's infinite. And Soderbergh's a good example because, you know, he did, you know, he's done some big movies, including what I, I think was a very underrated film, Contagion, which I thought was yeah. very well done. And then he'll do, you know, almost like, uh, I, I don't know, little, little art house things where you, you kind of sometimes scratch your head, what is he thinking of? And then he turns around and he does an HBO movie, you know, the thing about Liberace. He's, you know, challenging himself in different ways. Now he, he says he's, he's he may be retiring for a while. Yeah, right. Uh, well, yeah, we'll see. But you know, but he the thing is, filmmakers like him aren't giving up. They're accepting the new challenges. Oh, people are, you know, want to see stuff on you know on cable. Fine, I'll try I'll I'll try that format. 
Uh, they want to see a, a big film with a lot of big stars. We'll try that. Uh, we'll do a little action film. We'll do a heart. You know, he's trying different things. Mm. He's not giving up. I, I, I think, you know, Lucas and Spielberg have forgotten what it was like for them in the 60s and 70s. I do think there's a, a severe uh, distance between their reality, mm. you know, and, and everyday mm. film producers, whatever that is, but, you know, the, the lower budget film producers. Mm. Their experience, eh, you know, it's, to me it's different. Yeah. And, I, and, I've, and I've become disenchanted with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Well, I agree, but I have to admit, I did Please. like Lincoln, as Dan did, and um, I, I thought Lincoln was good. I said, oh my God, uh, he knows how to tell a story. Of course, he had a good script. You know, yes. that didn't he had a really good script, he had an amazing star. Yeah. 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 And yeah. He let but like, for, for one Lincoln, let's say studio gives, uh, makes like uh, $500 million movies over the course of six months or something like that. For one of those, if they you know, didn't make one of them, they could make... Uh, Ten million dollar movies. That's what some producers. Well, we'll see what want. the fallout is going to be from happen. this summer because uh, uh, there's no question about it. Too many. I mean, oh, this is great. Movies have changed. What it was, twenty two blockbuster films. Mm. Uh, you know, superhero type films coming out this summer. Mm. Uh, how many of them have done well? Well, you know, big budget special effects films without a lot of dialogue, which kind of is uh, Man of Steel, do very well overseas. So that's what they're gearing for. Yeah. Well, it's a question of how it's, all the numbers are going to be uh, come down at the end of the summer when they do this sort of evaluation of all this stuff. Yeah, it does well overseas. I mean, we know that here, here it is. I still haven't seen a Pacific Rim, and I it, it's way up there on my to-be-seen list. But, it's uh, good. Now, uh, well, that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> well, I've heard some of that, too. I would say, if, well, let's put it this way. If, if, if you could check your brain at the door and pretend you're 12 years old, it's giant robots and giant monsters. What's not to like? <laughs> But the minute you start thinking about it, and I, I happen to like Guillermo del Toro a lot. I think he's a, yeah. he's a wonderful director. Yeah. Um, I was not impressed with the direction of this. They, they were, they were, you can't tell what's going on most of the time. Oh, dear. You know, some of these big fight scenes with spe one special effect is fighting another special effect, and I'm seeing well, pieces flying by. Is that part of the monster? Is that part of the robot? Is that part of yet another city being destroyed this summer? It's like most films of this nature. It's a lot of information to process at one time, but it was a lot of fun. I didn't think it was all that much fun. New. And I'm neutral. But I'm, it's, of the films that are out there right now, of the ones that cost over $50 million to make, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's numero uno on my list. On the other hand, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in Cambridge going to the Burt Lancaster and some of the Alfred Hitchcock stuff. But I still think there are still small films, um, even though the patterns of distribution are really changing and how these films get there's still small films with small distributors who know how to really work the alter ancillary market situation mm -hmm. the kind of thing how did this film make money how did it get noticed how did it get into a theater at all like it's a documentary like it came out a couple of years ago Jiro Deems of, of Sushi it did yeah, extremely well yes hmm. I would, it's not the kind of film I would have would have even been on my radar screen See now, with, with, with this is a problem. See, we're spoiled because we're in a big city. Yeah. Uh, for the people who are out in, you know, out in the suburbs, I don't want to say the hinterlands, but you know, where basically you've got like the one multiplex, and maybe they don't have a screen they devote to art house films. They're not seeing some of these films, and maybe they're relying on some museum or film society to bring something in for a show or two. So that, that that's a, you know in terms of distribution that is a problem and that may be where those films will be seen more and more 
through streaming video and, and stuff like that. Yeah, when, be when, you've got, when you've got giant TV screens, no, it's not like sitting in a movie theater, but it's also not like watching it on your iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, that, and I think to a certain degree to which it's possible for a film like films like that yeah. uh, to get some sort of attention. That, like, say, a, you know, a New Yorker reader, for example, yeah. that they still... Oh, we're not going to go into the city. Or this wasn't it that Soderbergh tried to do this for um, with the, the bubble film. Uh, oh, right, where he did video on demand with the theatrical release. Right, where he gets some notice, but we're not going to journey all the way into the city to see it in the theater. And so um, you uh, you do that. And I think the way that somebody like Soderbergh and other producer directors might be playing around with okay, let's see what combination works. Uh, the thing is to get the title known. Uh, that that's that's and how do you how do you do that? And you've got all these pre... We knew The Lone Ranger was coming years and years ago, or months and months ago. But there's still a way that a small film can find its way into the consciousness if it's handled correctly. Mm -hmm. And people will go. Or if they don't go to the theater to see it, or, you know, they're far away from the local art house, um, they'll hear about it, and there'll be other ways that a good distributor will know how to, you know parlay whatever kind of attention it may have gotten in the city into the consciousness of somebody in you can suburban start, New Jersey. Uh, uh, you know, creating a, a, a knowledge about it early, like uh, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. You know, issues about it before it even comes out. You know, a, a bully. Um, you know. Yeah. And, and something else. If something is, is good, now, you know, there, there, are, there are good films that have failed, and, you know, and, and that happens all the time. And there are bad films that have succeeded but, you know, like, take a look at something like this summer, the interesting story is Despicable Me 2. Yeah. You know, it's not Pixar, it's not DreamWorks, it's a sequel, and yet it's it's the animation success of the summer. Why? Because it's a lot of fun. Mm. Because it's very creative and it's a very entertaining film and audiences are responding to it. People, You know, there's an old joke, I'm not going to tell the joke, but the punchline of which is you give the public what they want, they'll come out for it every time. And I, I think that's what Spielberg and Lucas have forgotten. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and this past weekend was kind of a, really brought that into the forefront with the Pacific Rim going up against Grown Ups 2, like like garbage going up against something, you know, pretty damn neat. And, uh, you know, Grown Ups 2... I didn't think Grown Ups 2 was all that neat. No, 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 no. <laughs> I thought you. I, 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 I meant Pacific, Pacific Rim. Is, Pacific Rim, Rim is, is you know, is be, Grown Ups 2 was just awful. Pacific Rim to me is is a failed film. I was I thought it was a disappointment, and I wasn't. I, I was surprised it did as badly as it did. I think it appealed basically to the fanboys mm. and fangirls, not to be sexist about it. Mm. Yeah, but uh, you know, Grown Ups two making this much money more, this much more than Pacific Rim was, you know, uh, on the surface disappointing to a lot of people. Well, see, now this is what's what's very different today, and and the and the younger listeners aren't going to remember this time where. Sunday night or Monday morning, the what was the box office the weekend was part of the news, you know where you you know you you go online or you go to you know now the internet movie database or even like you know the, you watch the Today Show or or Morning Joe or whatever and there's oh and how do the movies do this weekend well number one of the box office was. You know, years ago, we didn't know that stuff. We knew something was a True. hit, but True. we weren't tracking the numbers. You know who were tracking the numbers? The exhibitors and the distributors, the mm. studios and the movie theater operators. The public didn't care. Well, it's under the idea that, like, if this succeeds to this point, we're obviously going to get more of it. You say, we want more like this? This has to do really well. But 
Those things change. Dan and I met him like over the years. How many? Oh, we're gonna make all the like the musicals that Dan talked about before. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna make musicals, and then with the exception of Cabaret, uh, they, they, they mostly flop. And then musicals died, and every so often they would try to bring it back, and it didn't work. You know, a Vita or a chorus line. And then all of a sudden, Chicago. Yeah. And Chicago is a big hit. And some of the students are, ha, people mm. want to see musicals. And they bring out the producers and Rent and Phantom of the Opera, and they all tanked. Mm. You know, the, 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 one of the oldest Hollywood jokes is, it's a town where everybody wants to be first in line to be second. You know, instead of wanting to be original, they want to copy somebody else's success. And sometimes that works. You can write out a trend. Uh, and so, and very often it doesn't work. People go, okay, I got my fill of that. What's, what's new and novel? Is this supposed idea of death of originality with all these sequels, you know, um, do, you, do you think it's always been just a constant thing? I mean, we are getting more sequels, but uh, at the expense of what? The, the difference is, again, it's a generational thing. Okay, fine. We we now have the franchises, and they're big budget franchises. Um, I grew up in the period of low budget franchises, Ma and Pa Kettle films, Francis the Talking Mule films, uh, even the Thin Man. Right. Uh, and and Andy Hardy. Yeah. yeah. But but the thinking that by which gets these these films get made, you know, is still similar except that. Just the budget amount has gotten out of out of control, but that there there um, I remember when the first Francis the Talking Mule came out, and then there were a few more of them, and I was you know I was ten years old I think when it came out, and uh, but yeah, so again I've seen I just uh, what astonishes me, uh, and I actually do think I'd be very surprised as Pirates of the Caribbean five does that well. People may have OD'd on Johnny Depp. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not sure that they're doing Pirates of the Caribbean 5. I haven't heard that. But I did read this morning Alice in Wonderland 2. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Something else. You know, I mean, I, I've often, I mean, I, I, I've been reviewing now. This is, it's, it's frightening. That we're, we're coming up on 25 years uh, that I've, uh, I've been reviewing. Uh, and... Oh, excuse me, 30 years, I guess. I was rounding it off. Mm -hmm. um, yes, 30 years as a reviewer, and I have often reviewed some film and go, that's it. it you know, it, uh, originality is officially dead, you know, because they're doing some other TV show adaptation or, you know, Friday the 13th Part 47 or something no, like that. I, I realize but, I would say that, but I'm just a drama queen. Right. That's all it means. But you know something? You go if you, you. This is where people who don't know Hollywood history think they're making some orig, original statement when they're not. Mm -hmm. There's a story that goes back to the night. I think it's the 1930s. There was a screenwriter named Ben Heck. He was a major, major screenwriter, mm -hmm. um, and he was telling Howard Hawks, the director, that he just he pulled one over the studios. He had the same plot. And he dressed it up three different ways, and he saw the same story to three different studios. I mean, like one place was a pirate movie, one place was a western, but it was the same plot. And Hawks goes, "That's hilarious. Tell me what, what's the plot." And Heck tells him what the plot is, and he goes, "You sob, I'm one of the people who bought it." <laughs> so this is, you know, unoriginal movies. This is this is Hollywood. The gold, uh, the golden coin. Nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah, no, nobody knows for sure. That's the whole thing. It's like, when you, you know, th th that's it. It's it's rolling the dice. And Steven Soderbergh sort of just, he, he reiterated that effectively in his San Francisco uh, International Film Festival speech a couple months ago. Yeah. 
not only do they, do they not know what they're doing, but now he doesn't know who they are. These kids who were just fans of right. his, you know? Right. The, oh, the, the, what a great story. Years ago, I interviewed David Cronenberg uh, when he was releasing Dead Ringers, you know, mm. with, with the Jeremy Iron as the, the yeah. twin gynecologist. Really creepy film. And uh, he said he took it to every studio in Hollywood and they all turned him down. And he said one place even said, oh, twin gynecologist, that's awful. Could you make them twin lawyers? And he said, no, 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 that's, that's too creepy. Well, so we, obviously he made the movie. So how'd you get it made? He said, well, I waited six months. And then all the people had been replaced and I just took it around again until I sold it. You know, I, and that's in the 1980s. Dan, that's a perfect way to end it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, David. We can do the, uh, you know, like the door. This is the end. This is what Spielberg and, you know, this is the end. You know, right. Isn't right. there a movie coming out? Isn't yes. there a movie coming out called This is the End? The End of the World. The, the anyway. World's End. The World's that's End. That's by the guys who did Shaun of the Dead. It all comes around. Well, that's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to check out Diabolique Magazine online at diaboliquemagazine.com. Or you can check out horrorunlimited.com. We've got a whole bunch of cool stuff there. And don't forget to pick up the latest issue of Diabolique Magazine, because really, that's what this is all about. And if you have anything to say about the podcast or the magazine or website or anything, send us an email. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I'm at steve at horrorunlimited.com. Until next time, I'm Stephen Slaughterhead. So long, everybody.